Let's stand for the reading of God's word. There are two passages that we'll be looking at this morning. The first comes from Matthew 6, where Matthew records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a section from that sermon. And then we will be looking at Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. First, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Jesus was teaching. He spoke these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. From 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please uh, be seated. A few weeks ago, we started a little mini-series that our elders wanted us to do, centered on what does it mean to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted us. This is our third week. We have a few more weeks to go. I've really enjoyed digging into the scriptures here. The burden is because of how God's word always, always, always offers us wisdom, and it also offers warnings. You see those warnings here. As we unpack this, I want you to know and remember that all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. We believe every part of God's word is his. It's God-breathed. And then it goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3.16, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What that means is every time you open the word, every time you hear the word preached, God is moving in a way that will teach you us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us. It's really important to remember that. Another thing, when we talk about topics that you may have a reaction to, pay attention to that reaction. It might be revealing something inside you that you really need to take before the Lord. This is one of those topics, money, and what Jesus says with wisdom and great warning. Before we jump in though, I wanna, I wanna begin by just talking about the last couple of weeks. 
Our world is in a, a crazy place, we know that. Sometimes it's good to have some distraction, but even the distractions can reveal that there's a lot of brokenness in this world. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed watching the Olympics. They come to a close today. I'm just curious, how many of you like the Winter Olympics? Raise your hand. How many of you like the Summer Olympics better? That's like my wife. She doesn't care about the Winter Olympics at all. I love them. I love all the sports in the Winter Olympics. But I'm gonna be honest, I don't know a lot about a lot of them. I know if you fall, usually that's bad. <laughs> but curling, how did it become a sport? And, and I love it. But as I'm listening to it and watching them, I have zero idea what's going on. All I know is that it sounds like a really angry woman is yelling at the people as they're moving down the ice. I have no idea what they're saying and I'm sure the rules are pretty simple, but I don't get it, but I watch it anyway. During the Olympics, my wife has been disinterested, so she's taken up a new passion. She's learning to play Mahjong. And the reason is because of Becky McKamey, Becky Wave. Yes, she assists with all of our baptisms. They become close friends in the game of Mahjong. Christina said, will you learn to play with me? And I just started laughing. There's no way I'll ever learn that game. Bring me Connect Four all day long. Play chess with me if you're not above third grade, I'm in. I don't know the rules. I don't really want to learn the rules. Now I'm not here just to bring a little light laughter. I really think for many Christians, we don't really know what God's word says about giving. And because of that, we have different reactions. I want you to think of a spectrum for a moment. The spectrum on this side says this, as a believer, I know what God's word says about giving and I'm obedient to what his word says. Or, I know what God's word says about giving and I'm not obedient to what it says. Or, I know what God's word says about giving and sometimes I'm obedient to God's word. On the far other side would be, I really don't know what God's word says about giving, but I give anyway. Or, I really don't know what God's word says about giving, so I don't give. All of us in this church and in the church are somewhere on that spectrum. As a pastor, my burden to lead a flock is to make sure we actually understand what God's word says. And it is very, very clear in some parts and not as clear in others. And when that takes place, what we always must do is take that which is most clear and then use that which is most clear to interpret other aspects of scripture that aren't as clear. That's true with everything in God's word. Always dependent upon the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. So somewhere on that spectrum, you are sitting here or worshiping online, sitting in a living room or a coffee shop, hearing what's said, and you either would say, I do know what God's word says and I'm obedient to it. I wanna tell you, I'm grateful for your obedience, but you still need to listen. Because giving and how we handle money is not something that one day we check the box on and are done. Because money's too powerful, deception is too real, 
The words like plunge into destruction are for us always to remember because we could lose our way. If you're a person who says, I've never known what the word of God says, welcome. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna to continue to explain what we as a session, that's our elders, believe God's word teaches in line with our denomination. On page 10 in your bulletin, there's a blank page, which is there every week with opportunity for you to write sermon notes. This week and next week, we'll put in there as well, a QR code. Don't scan it now, but you can scan it later and it will show you the 11 principles that we as your elders believe God's word speaks about in regards to giving. This morning, what I wanna do is I wanna highlight these three parts of this text and we're gonna look at this text again next week. I wanna focus on treasures, on contentment, and on hope. And the way I wanna do it is by showing how it looks as if what Jesus is saying is this, as it relates to money, to treasures, to giving, this is what you should not do, and this is what you should do. So let's begin. Let's begin with Christ's own words in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what you should not do. Jesus says in verse 19 of Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So let's stop. On this category, it's very clear. This is what you, followers of Christ, those who have come to listen to my preaching, Jesus said, and the crowds had gathered around them. This is what you should not do. You should not lay up, store up, treasures on earth. But he doesn't say you shouldn't store or even seek treasures. That's not what the word of God says. He says in verse 20, but lay up, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So there's two sides. This is what you are not to do. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Do seek treasures and store them up, but make sure they're what? Heavenly treasures. So he is telling us, essentially, that we have been made to seek treasure. The treasure that we must seek is the heavenly treasure. Now, even as you hear that, pay attention to how you're reacting. These are the words of Christ, and this is not debatable. It's very clear. Do not store up Lay up treasures that are earthly. Do store up treasures that are heavenly. So, what does it all mean? We are to seek and to store. Seek and to store. But what we're to seek, as he teaches earlier in Matthew or Mark, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, what are some of the earthly treasures that we might be tempted to seek? You can name them quickly. To help, I'm gonna give you six. They all start with the letter P. We seek earthly treasures that are possessions, places like homes. We seek people, power, position, pleasure. I'll go to the list again. Possessions, places, people, power, position, pleasure. In and of themselves, these are not evil. It's when we begin to treat them as a treasure, 
that would be ultimate, that they become the idol that plunges us into destruction. It's interesting. Heavenly treasures are actually the exact same things, but with an eternal perspective. Heavenly treasures, first, it is a person, and that person is Jesus. When we go to be with him forever, he is the focus of our glory, his glory. He is the focus of that glorious inheritance that we will have. I know we love to think about what we're gonna do in heaven, and you think it's gonna be curling, if you love curling. It's not, maybe it is, I don't think it is. It's not gonna matter. And we don't know everything, but we do know that we're gonna be in the presence of our King for all eternity. And we're never gonna lack for contentment. We're never gonna lack anything. We're never gonna say, you know, I wish we had, or I, I, I wished it would have been. We're never gonna have those feelings. Heavenly treasures are a person, it's Jesus. Heavenly treasures are a place. You know why we like homes? And do you know why we like to decorate homes? It's because we're trying to create that which we were made for. Things that are beautiful, things that are elegant, things that work. We were made for a home. And the fall has greatly destroyed this home. But in heaven, we're gonna have an eternal home. We sang about it a little bit. In mansions of glory and endless delight. So you see here, the person, Christ, places and possessions. The possessions are gonna be all sorts of things, including rewards that we receive in heaven based on the way in which we lived the life that Christ has called us to live. On earth, we seek power as a treasure. In heaven, we will have power. We'll have power that is remarkable. On earth, we seek position. In heaven, we will be aware most fully perfectly fully that we are the beloved children of the living God. On earth, we seek pleasures, but in heaven, they will be pleasures that are endless without any imperfection. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, for where, in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And that's the temptation. All of us, at moments in our life are tempted towards things. And the thing itself might not be evil, but it can become that when it attaches itself to our heart. And the pursuit of that is what consumes us. We live in a very, very wealthy country. We're in a very wealthy city. We're in a wealthy church. Not everybody in this congregation would say they're rich. Some are very rich. This morning, and every day, your eyes shouldn't be fixed on what other people are doing and thinking. It should be fixed on you and the Lord and what is the Lord teaching you about who you are and what you should be doing with what he has entrusted you with. You see, that's what's amazing. God has told us he owns all things. And whatever he has given you as a believer in Christ, he's entrusted to you to bring him glory. Now, this is amazing. Everything that God teaches us about his word is wise. Therefore, it is good for us, but pay attention to how you're reacting. For many, the reaction reveals that there's something tugging their heart that is a material possession or an earthly treasure. Could be an earthly home, could be an earthly position, could be an earthly pleasure. 
probably in and of itself not wrong, but the way it begins to grip you is where it becomes a problem. And that's where Paul helps us as he instructs Timothy. Look with me at verse six, six of first Timothy. Timothy writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It is a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So here what we're comparing is contentment and cravings. When I was growing up, if somebody asked me, what do you want? What do you want to be? I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be rich because we weren't. We weren't poor. We really weren't poor. But I grew up in a home that didn't quite have a thousand square feet. There were three bedrooms and there was one bathroom. And there were five children. I wanted to be rich. I thought if I was an architect, I could be rich. So I started preparing to be an architect. My grandfather, who was the head of the Department of Health of the state of Oklahoma, did not want me to be an architect. He could tell by what was coming that I probably wouldn't be the wealthy man that I thought I wanted to be. He designed hospitals all over the state. He was a man of God and he was pouring into me. He was also frugal and that's why we lived in a house that was less than a thousand square feet. My dad bought that house, his father instructed him. And my dad was so frugal that he had him lower the ceiling because it would cut down on what? Utilities. The ceiling in the house I grew up in is so low that I can palm it. And I'm only right at six feet tall, no matter how tall this robe makes me look. The problem wasn't the low ceilings, it was one bathroom. I live in a house now that I would have dreamed of designing. I have five children. They each have their own bathroom and one to spare. And I praise God for that. But you know what? They're just as discontent at times as I was when the only place I could go to the bathroom without waiting in line was in the backyard. Is that too much information? <laughs> I wanted to be rich. And most everyone wants to be rich. And God wants and enables some to be rich and others not. But do you hear the warning? And I think this is where we have to pay attention to our reactions. We may be a church that says we uphold the word of God, but what God, Christ himself, warns us through his servant, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, is really important. God's word is wise. And when it offers a warning, the warning is there for a reason. And Jesus, through his servant, Paul, minces no words in declaring what the warning is. He says, verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. This is a strong warning, not for just some. He says, they fall into a snare. That's the strongest word that, that has this idea of trap, that you just get stuck into many senseless and harmful desires that 
plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's an amazing word, plunge. Plunge means to be buried. It means to essentially drown. And unless you think this is just Paul saying you will have some kind of a financial disaster if you do this, it's actually going way beyond just the present life into the eternal life, speaking of hell. That those who seek this, who aren't careful, will find themselves plunged into something that they might not be able to come out of. It plunges people into ruin and destruction. And he calls it what it is. Cravings. Verse 10, for the love of money, not money itself, is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We all know the craving. You right now have cravings for things. The thing in and of itself might not be bad, but if it becomes something to you that is gripping your heart, pay attention. Because what Paul says before this is so important. Be careful of the cravings that plunge into destruction. Be content with godly gain. Go back up to verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, this is amazing. Contentment means internal satisfaction, which does not demand changes in external circumstances. Let me say that again. Contentment is internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. God's word calls us to be a people who are content. And then he speaks of contentment by using the phrase great gains. Content with what? Paul writes, verse eight, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. The basic needs of life met. We as the people of God should be content. When cravings for something better than what we have been given or received become unhealthy, when there's not internal satisfaction in the basics, then that craving reveals the idolatrousness of our hearts. And that's what Paul is warning against. This doesn't mean that you can never have a really nice steak. This doesn't mean that you can never buy certain things that some might think is an indulgent. What it means is you need to be careful to know your heart. And this is a principle that I think is so important for us. This is where God's word doesn't perhaps get as specific as you want it to. But what his word does tell us is that he's leading us. Every person who is a believer in Christ has received certain things, gifts, resources, finances, and everything that you have received, everything I have received, everything that we as a body have received corporately belongs to God. He's the owner of it all. And in his mercy, he has said, Mark, I want you to be a faithful steward of this which I've entrusted to you. I know that he's told me that. Now I have the privilege of being obedient or disobedient. 
When it comes to these things, this is not a list that we simply check the box on. It is a joyful freedom when we say, I'm going before the Lord with everything because he owns everything. And I'm asking the Lord, not just once, but throughout the rest of my life, how do you want me to use my gifts? How do you want me to use my resources? Next week, I'm gonna talk about the tithe, the 10%. Is that true for the New Testament church as it was for the old? That's what I'm gonna be speaking about, preaching about. But the principle is this, that it is all God's. Whatever the Lord calls you to give, it's his. Whatever he calls you to give, give. And in giving, you experience the freedom. You see, it's not just a little bit belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Therefore, every financial decision we make is a spiritual decision. And it shouldn't be a decision that causes you to live in shame and guilt, and certainly not legalism. Instead, it's the freedom of, I am going to ask the living God, the powerful reality of the Holy Spirit in my life, how do you want me, how do you want us to steward what you have given? Contentment is the blessing, not the craving. The craving is the momentary blessing of this will give me life. Contentment is what we're told is great gains. The last one is this, and I'm gonna save most of it for next Sunday. It's hope. Treasures, contentment, hope. The end of this section, we'll be looking at this verse again next week. Verse 17, Paul writes, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So once again, you see the categories. Do not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And they are uncertain. Though if somebody looked long enough and hard enough, they could outline every asset you possess. Every account would have a number. But it's all uncertain. It is, we know it. On this side, we have something that is certain. And this is really important to understand lest we move into a wealth, health, prosperity gospel. He says, do not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But it doesn't say set your hope on the blessings of God. It says set your hope on God who richly provides. The temptation for us so often is to fix our eyes on the blessings or the answer to the prayer. What God wants is us to set and fix our eyes on him. And here's why. For our own good, for our own good, for the wisest investment, he is the only secure thing. But our temptation is to constantly set our hope and to put our security in insecure things. That's something I hear all the time from Rick Lehman 
and from David Newman in my own life as they speak to me because it's so tempting to put my hope, my security in insecure things. What Paul is saying is put your security, your hope in God. The blessings will come, but fix your eyes not on the blessings, but on the one who owns everything. I'm gonna leave us here. We'll come back to this text next week. But this is what must be our closing thought. God owns everything. In order to make us his own, he demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? So when God gives us his word that is wise and he gives us warnings to protect us, it is not to take from us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our obedience. He's giving us this for his glory. And when it's for his glory, it's always for our good. That's why we relish in that phrase of contentment. There is great gain. Pay attention to how you're reacting. Seek the word of the Lord. Ask him to show you what it is. He wants for his own glory to do in and through you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to a time of singing one final hymn, we're gonna focus on the assurance that we have in Christ and what a gift that is. It truly is layered in this story, this meta-narrative from the beginning to the end, which has us who've trusted in Christ being with you forever, the ultimate treasure, the person, Jesus Christ. So fix our eyes upon you, Lord. Even now, let us set our hope on the one certain reality that is God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.